Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Craft Sanity, episode 62. It's been a while, longer than I wanted it to be. I'm back with a great episode. I'm going to bring you an interview with Kristen Roach. She is the wonderful powerhouse, the crafter extraordinaire behind Craft Leftovers. Her story is really interesting because she's still in college. She's in this very creative time in her life where she's trying to kind of launch a crafty business and actually has one well up and running. She's also finishing an art degree and kind of looking to see what's next. I'm also going to be announcing the winner of the Knit Knit book. And also, Kristen Roach is going to get in on that giveaway action as well. And she's going to give away the December issue of Craft Leftovers Monthly. And Craft Leftovers Monthly is a subscription that you can purchase. And you get a kit in the mail. You get a copy of her zine. It's just basically craft goodness sent right to your door. And to kind of ease you into this conversation with Kristen, Kristen and I got a chance to meet this summer at a conference in Chicago. I knew her before that, so um, only by email, though. She's impressive because she's very creative, and she's got a lot of things going. She's 24. She's from Moline, Illinois. She's a senior at Northern Illinois University, and she's an art major, and she's going to be graduating this spring. And her senior project, wait till you hear about it, I think it's fantastic. It's, I can't... I, Man, if I had like a teleport system, I would be sure to teleport over there to see it, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to get there. But anyway, it's it, I know it's going to be good. It just sounds very intriguing. And she works at a yarn shop, you know, to help pay the bills and also has a great business going online. She dyes her own yarn and sells it online and also runs Craft Leftovers, this great website. The concept and premise of what she's doing online is all centered around using up those leftovers, de-stashing and just finding uses for things that are just little bits of this and that. And she publishes a new pattern every week, which is incredibly ambitious. And they're free. I mean, does it get any better than that, to have someone cranking out free content every single week for us to try at home? I mean, these projects are great. So I encourage you to check those out. I will have links, as usual, on craftsanity.com. So I'll direct you to all the great stuff she's doing online. Grab your latest project, maybe a cup of tea, and settle in for an interesting extended version of the Craft Sanity podcast. Here we go. Okay, well, Kristen, we had the pleasure of meeting each other in person at Blog Her 2007 in Chicago not long ago. So I feel like you're a friend of mine, and um, this is not the typical interview of a stranger in the craft world. So, um, it's kind of nice that we have a little bit of a very brief history of a couple days of intense craft talk. Um, <laughs> I know that the first time we had been in contact was you were in the process of starting a quilt block swap, and that was back in, I want to say, was that 2006 when you did that? 2006. I think it was about June, I want to say. I know. I, I joined immediately, and was pretty active in that for about six months, and then life got a little busy for me, and I haven't been able to participate since. But are you still involved with that? 
Um, I actually was until last month. Um, I handed it over to another woman back in March. Okay. And, so and she's been kind of taking care of it since and, you know, assigning swap partners and stuff like that. And but it's still going, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. Yes. It really is. And my life has since gotten way too hectic and I've had to, I've had to stop participating, but I hope to eventually. And she actually did a really smart thing and she cut down the requirement to only one block a month, which makes it oh, yeah. in a weird way, like so much easier. It to, makes it, you know. yeah, a lot easier. In fact, maybe <laughs> I'll get back involved now. <laughs> if anybody's interested, you can find it at quoteblockswap.blogspot.com. And it is really fun. I think the requirement of just having one block a month probably makes a big difference for people. Yeah, it really does. It's almost like you could just take a fat quarter and and cut a square out of it and embroider something on there, and you're done. Yeah, just about. I mean, you can make it pretty simple. Yeah, I found that I was Mm -hmm. really making the project much more challenging, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, I was, too. I was, like, appliquing all these, like, button-sized things, and um, Sister Diane of of Crafty Pod, she participated in it right from the start, too, and she always did these, like, really elaborate things. I don't know what it is about us, but we, we seem to want to go overboard all the time yeah well it is fun um it is just it gets a little stressful if it's the night before you're supposed to mail it out and you're still like trying to figure out what to do so yeah well i'm glad i mean and that's kind of how we met is through that and and then to get to meet you in person was really fun and i've been really impressed with how much you've taken on and what you've started to do in just a very short amount of time and i think you're a great example of someone who's you're just wrapping up college yeah i have this is my last year coming up and where where are you a student where are you going to school I'm going to Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois. I'm in the fine arts program working on a painting major, and I've been able to work with some amazing professors, which I'm really excited about because, you know, going to Northern Illinois University, I I was thinking that it was not going to be the best quality fine arts education, and it, it, it really has. Well, that's great. So you're having a yeah. good experience. And, well, talk a little bit about, it's interesting that you're starting painting, and you're doing... I mean, you're like way into the crafts online um, with what people can see as the creator of Craft Leftovers, um, that Creative Ideas for Resourceful Living website that's really fantastic. And um, and we will get more in-depth with that soon. But first, I want to kind of just back up and and kind of let people get to know a little bit about your history as an art and a craft lover. And what, what started this whole thing for you? When did you start doing art and crafts? I mean, was this a thing since childhood? Well, I actually, I've pretty much drawn before I could talk or write or read or anything. It was just like this really intense thing that I felt that I had to do. I was, and so I just drew everything all the time, and it became like my verbal communication. In some ways, I think it actually hampered my, my verbal communication, where, I mean, I could talk fine and everything, but it took me a very long time to figure out how to read. Like, it just didn't click until I was, like, 9 or 10. And because you were always drawing. I mean, Yeah, just... I, I, I think, like, I just, I just process things visually. So, like, letters combined together to make a word, to combine together to make a sentence and so on, didn't make sense. And I was dyslexic for a while, too, so that also hampered things. So I've always drawn. And then my grandma has always done crafts, and my mom always crafted with us when we were little kids. And um, one of the projects on craft leftovers, the the pin tin candy, mm-hmm. I think that was actually one of the first crafts I ever did with my mom, so she says. I don't remember. <laughs> and so that's always kind of been there, too. And 
And let's, was, let's tell people what the pin tin candy is for. Oh, um, it's been around forever. It, I, it's not an original idea at all. But you take salt and a tin can from soup or whatever, and you just wrap the salt around the tin can and hot glue it on there and then fold it over the lip to protect it from, you know, cutting yourself or whatever. And you can put your pencils and scissors in this tin can, and then you can put your straight pins and needles on the outside. So it's really great for the craft table. And, um, yeah, so I've got, like, five of them. <laughs> yeah, and it's great because so the, with the hot glue, you can still get the pins in there okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I usually use, like, really thick felt or, like, a double layer or um, I actually just started taking old felted sweaters and making them from that and so oh, it's kind yeah. of fun because like you know like a fluffy angora sweater and it's like this little hairy monster and you can get buttons or ribbon or whatever on there and it's just kind of cute yeah and that's a very easy craft you can do and it makes a cute little gift too if you want to give somebody something yeah. might be low on your cash flow um <laughs> but you can still uh, make a crafter quite happy to have this little um holder. oh yeah yeah, okay. I, mean, so, I, would, I would say that's, that's true for almost all the crafts on craft leftovers, that they make great gifts. And it's, most of the time, it's from, like, things that people would normally have on hand. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is the beauty of it. Yeah, it really is. It's, and almost all the projects take under, like, four hours. And most average around a half hour, so... It's really fast. So you can craft. I try to make it easy. Yeah, well, I think you're someone who's pressed for time too. I mean, juggling a job and being a student, and I mean, it's it, you don't have endless amounts of time to sit around and no, make things, I'm, which would be ideal if we all had endless amounts of time to sit around and make things. But fabulous. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping to get some more complicated, or at least complicated for me anyway, um, patterns soon because I'm working ahead of time, and so. Um, I'm able to, like, like I've been working on this um, one project, and it's been kind of just carried around with me for the last week or two, and I don't feel so pressed to, like, crank it out at the last minute in, like, you know, six hours after I get off work on Friday. What What are you working on? <laughs> um, it's actually a little stuffed panda bear. Oh, cool. So, and it's knit, so it's, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be cute. It's cute so far. Yeah. And I'm making it from... Well, it's kind of funny because I started with uh, this yarn I had gotten from the thrift store, and it's, you know, probably Red Heart. I don't know. It was some undescript acrylic yarn from wherever. And so I was using that to make it, and I got, like, halfway done, and I just hated the yarn so much. It's like, okay, I'll finish this eventually, but just to, like, because when you write a pattern, you rip it out so many times. So I've been working with this, like, Red Heart yarn for you know, for a week now, and it's, I'm like, ah, and so I grabbed some, you know, academy tweed, and started using that instead, and I'll go back to the Red Heart, but I think my hands just needed a little relief from it, and yeah, I actually really like Red Heart, not to, like, alienate anybody, because I really do, it's such a great yarn, it's so cheap, and it makes wonderful afghans, and Mm -hmm. I, I use it a lot for crochet, but for pattern, pattern writing, it can sometimes get a little frustrating, because it's, doesn't take too kindly to being ripped out. Like, yeah, yeah, it do, it's not really something that you can, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from on that. 
Well, I, I kind of created a diversion here by um, asking you to explain the project. And, um, but, yeah, no, I'm sorry. But no, no, that's, no I'm, I'm famous for leading people astray. That's one of the things I do best. So getting back to you, you were talking about that was one of the, the Tin Can Project was one of the first projects you did with your mom. Would you say that you did things at a pretty young age then with your mom? Working on oh, project? yeah, I would think so. Well, I don't remember it, so I'm going to imagine that I was pretty little. And we weren't really well off when I was a kid growing up. And so... You know, when it came time to, like, make presents for our friends for Christmas or their birthdays, we would always make them gifts. And so that's always kind of been a sound. You know, there's something kind of cool about that. My kids haven't gotten to this age yet, but, you know, I can just imagine, you know, with the birthday invitations. And, I mean, this stuff adds up. And you can go get a toy for, you know, 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. And, you know, if you're going to five birthdays, and you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's expensive. But kids, I think some of the stuff, you can make some great stuff, though. You know, you really yeah, can make... I'm not going to say we did, though. A lot of it was ah. like, I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think my favorite one is, um, you know, and he accepted it graciously, and his mom was really creative, so there was they were always doing crafty stuff, too, so he understood. But my best friend when I was a little kid was seven, and I kid you not, we took a... I took a block of wood... And I painted, I think, like, some G.I. Joes onto it or something. I don't even exactly remember. And then I painted his name on there, and that was his birthday present. <laughs> and, and you know, he thought it was great, whatever, but... <laughs> so. Yeah, well, yeah. It, no, that's that's cool. I think I, I like handmade gifts, and I've given some really crappy handmade gifts, so because, <laughs> you know, before, when you're learning, like, if you haven't mastered your craft yet, and I'm still working on mastering a few crafts here, but... Um, some of the stuff, like my mom has graciously accepted, has been total crap, like some of the stuff I've made for her. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, especially when I was a kid. And now I'm, I'm thrilled to have finally gotten to the point where I can give something, something to somebody that's homemade and they don't necessarily know right away that I made it. So, yeah, or they even ask, like, where did you get this? Yeah, and, and then I'm you're like, like oh, oh, and I made it myself. And I especially <laughs> like if, if you make something that you're wearing, it stinks if someone says, oh, did you make that? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> but now I, people know I make stuff, so I, I can't take that as a sign that it totally stinks. I mean, right away, you know, but yeah. So so at what point did you get into the fine art? Well, I would say, like with my mom, I always did craft stuff, but my dad, he was actually a pretty expert painter. Like, he painted a lot of birds and things. Okay. And just really super realistic, like every feather, and which still blows my mind. But so... I was homeschooled, and so he would give me my art class lessons. And then later on, they actually, they had this, oh, I think he was actually a teenager. He seemed so old to me, but I think he was like 16. And he started teaching me art classes for like an hour every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so he would pretty much teach me what they were, what he was learning in high school. Oh, that's And so cool. I was doing like perspective studies and things like that when I was like eight years old. So that was, that was actually really good for me. And then, like, that's actually why I went to public school was that way I could take art classes. And my parents always really encouraged me that way. And I kind of, unfortunately, fed into the stigma that crafting was for, you know, little old ladies. And I wanted nothing to do with that because I was a strong, independent young woman or whatever. And, when, and, and how recently did you have that belief? I would say probably three or four years ago. Really? Yeah. And, um... So I went to school for quite a while and um, at the local college and, um, you know, just doing undergrad stuff and 
piddling around and I did a, a study abroad and I studied um, painting and drawing over there at the Christchurch College in Canterbury. And I was over there for a semester studying and, and that was that was a really neat experience too, just, you know, seeing all the art. We'd go into the museum and, and copy and interpret old masters and and so that was a really fun experience and it was once I got back I kinda started showing my work a little bit and did primarily paintings and drawings and so once I finished my associates I decided to choose painting as my major. Just I had been really encaptivated with it in the last couple of years and like all I did was paint and and so at the time it seemed like the decision, like there was no question. Mm-hmm. And and then I learned how to knit, and my boyfriend actually taught me how to knit, because I was, I was just really bored in DeKalb. I didn't have any friends, and, you know, a lot of people had been going there since their freshman year, and I was coming in as a transfer student, and so I would just knit all the time, and I started hanging out at the local yarn shop, and, and I would knit with them, and they would teach me stuff, and, and then I, you know, crocheted a little bit before then, and... So I really learned how to crochet, you know, more than just single crochet. Mm-hmm. And and then I got into embroidery and cool work. And then I pulled out my sewing machine again. And it just, like, started to spiral out of control <laughs> before people thought I was yeah. So, yeah. so you're into everything now. Yeah. And it's just, like, the last, it's, yeah, it's seriously just the last two years. Well, it's interesting that you say, um, you know, the, the whole adjustment to living in a new place and not knowing anyone is kind of what led you into this full blast craft, you know, binge that you're still on. Because that's exactly what happened to me when I moved to West Michigan. I, you know, really? yeah, I come from being at Central Michigan University for four years. And then, and I got into my fiber art class, my life changing fiber art class was my last semester there. And I got, that's when I got addicted to weaving. And but when oh, I moved, yeah, when I moved to West Michigan, I was just like, it was, I was in a new, new, completely new job. I graduated from college two days earlier, was very lucky and found a job, you know, got a job right out of college, which now is, that's harder to do if you're a college student. It really is. The, the economy stinks, so it's really hard. My husband and I, um, we actually were engaged, so we got married about a month after we both started our full-time jobs, but I didn't know anyone besides me. I knew my husband, and I had some coworkers, but most of them are a lot older than me, and the younger ones weren't married, so they're kind of doing the whole single thing, and mm-hmm. I'm this married woman, you know, <laughs> and um, I was happily married, but just, I just seemed like I didn't quite fit, and, um, and I've always been kind of an individual, but what I did, I found that I just very quickly became immersed in all these projects I was doing at home. I would go home and my husband was already sleeping because he had to be, he worked like at some ungodly hour. He got up and like he'd be at work at like four, three or four in the morning. And um, I worked an afternoon, evening shift. And so it was just this thing where I had time. So I was started weaving and, you know, knitting and all kinds of stuff. And it was the same kind of thing because it's like you fill the void. I mean, some people can spiral into like binge drinking or something <laughs> or drugs or whatever. Pardon me. Yeah, I mean, crafting is something that you don't need extensive rehab, you know, for, to get out of it. I mean, it can hurt you in the pocketbook if you buy too much yarn or something. But it sounds like you found a great way to manage what you're doing because of you, know, you have so many projects going and you've launched kind of a, a business. But did, did you find that you started to actually meet people, though, when you got into the whole, you know, you're at the yarn shop, you're kind of meeting oh, yeah. other people I would, who... I would say that 
say that they're like my closest, most consistent friends. And I mean, we don't exactly go hang out together, but there's like this really deep connection through mm-hmm. yarn. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I have a lot of the same thing going on in my life. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like you know, we just we'll hang out and knit for like four or five hours together every week. And so, I mean, I guess we do hang out. That's totally hanging out. But I just happen to be working. And um, we always joke around like, oh, those darn customers, you know, coming in here wanting to buy stuff or in our time to hang out or whatever. (laughs) And then also just like when you're out and about, you know, and, and you pull out your project and you start working on it. And people will come up to you and be like, oh, you knit or oh, you crochet or whatever. And my mom did that or I've, thought about doing that again and and so you start to make connections with people that you wouldn't otherwise right and they're people that, yeah you don't know you're in proximity proximity to another knitter or crafter unless you're like knitting or they're knitting and you start talking mm-hmm. about it yeah I, I had once taught a woman how to she I was at Outback Steakhouse with my parents and my husband and I think at the time I only had one child and I was working on a shawl or something and I thought you know I'm just gonna bring this because there was a huge wait I'm like I'm gonna just bring this and work on it while we're waiting and this woman kept like looking at what I was doing like she wanted to talk to me but she wasn't really you know gonna do it and then she finally came over and she said are you knitting I said yeah and she's like oh you know I used to know how to do that but I can't remember how to cast on I'm like, oh, and of course, I just happen to have an extra ball of yarn and an extra pair of needles right there. <laughs> who wouldn't? I know, who wouldn't? I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, this is just something everyone carries around. So I was like, oh, I can show you, you know, how to do that. Sit down, you know. And so I had, like, my family kind of move away a little bit <laughs> so she could sit down. And her husband's looking at her like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you, you don't just go up to somebody. I'm thinking, of course you do. You know, why not go up to somebody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, my best friend in my first employee quote-unquote for craft leftovers you know we made that initial connection because I was knitting and she's like and we were in the same painting class and you know of course we were like freaks you know like those freaks knitting crafting in a fine arts class how dare they you know like whatever (laughs) and so before and after class or while we were waiting around or whatever I would work on teaching her how to crochet and knit and you know she's been such a good friend to me for the last year now, and she would come over and help me make kits and things like that for craft leftovers. And... See, and that's great. And I think it's it's so wonderful when you can make connections with people that that love the same things you you do, you know. And it's it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. So for you, um, you you said up until you know about three four years ago, you were really just not having anything to do with crafts. But it seems like very quickly you changed your your thinking, and it was it, it sounds like the move to school was a big part of that. Right, and then, well, I forgot to mention this, but also, um, I would say, I want to say it's about two years before that, my grandma had passed away, and she was an amazing craftswoman. Yeah, it's been, it was really, like, that time, that's why I think I took five years to get through community college, (laughs) just because that my grandma died, and then shortly, you know, like, a year later, my grandpa passed away. And so it was just really rough, and so I was, like, taking maybe one class a semester for a while. Mm -hmm. And so five years doesn't sound so bad. You know, they were going to sell a lot of her stuff in the estate sale because, you know, nobody else in the family was really into that kind of thing. And for me, like, always seeing her crafting, always seeing her sewing or crocheting or whatever, I was like, no. (laughs) You can't give away my grandma. Like, I just had this, like... I, it was such a crisis time in my life. I really latched on to those inanimate objects as mm-hmm. like my connection to her. 
And so I made my mom keep, like, almost all of her craft stuff. And so it just got kind of stowed away in the basement. So when I moved out, I get this tiny apartment. And my mom's like, you're moving out. You're taking that stuff with you. Like, I want that basement back. And so I had, like, in my apartment all of these crochet hooks and knitting needles. And I had a serger, like, a really nice serger and a really nice sewing machine. And all this fabric and lace and yarn. And I didn't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, I asked Jason, like, I'm like, can you teach me how to knit? And then so I started to kind of use the tools that I had gotten from my grandma. And so that's and that's kind of what spurred me to be so diverse is because it's like, well, I need to learn how to use all these things that, it, that my grandma has left to me. Wow. So that was the other thing that kind of really spurred it on and inspired me and my mom tells me all the time, and it just, like, really touches my heart. She's like, your grandma would be so proud of you if she saw you working on all well, this. Well, I bet she today. would. I mean, because I think, um, to me, it's alarming to think that um, when I kick off, my stuff would go to a random people at an estate sale. Like, I really hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, I'd like it to go to people who I know who totally love to craft, you know? I'm so, going to have to make some kind of list or, like, when I pass away, like, have like some kind of will the crafters will yeah yeah where i know it'll go to somebody and like be divided up nicely among like my friends or i don't know like just something i just don't want it to go to the salvation army it always kind of breaks my heart when i see like this huge shelf full of craft stuff and like yarn and fabric and pattern. Yeah, because you know like, that is somebody's life stash right there, and nobody cared, and it just breaks. <laughs> I know. Well, I I can't really go. I I have um. There's a woman at work that kind of introduced me to the whole estate sale concept because I had never gone to an estate sale, and I went to a couple of estate sales with her. Like we go on a lunch break and we go to an estate sale, and we oh, went to this one house, and this lady had like a lot of craft supplies, and she had them in this cabinet, and um. It was like this metal cabinet, and the cabinet was $14, and it was like this really like 1950s kind of retro cabinet that was just unbelievable, and she had all this craft stuff in it, and, um, you know, I I was kind of like, I, I, it was very sad to me to see all these people wandering through, like seeing her entire life, and just kind of picking and shuffling through things, or even photos, like family photos, and I'm just thinking... Who sells family yeah. photos? But apparently a lot of people do. I ended up buying that cabinet. I didn't get all the stuff. There was um, kind of the stuff was like, I don't know if someone else had already purchased some of this um, craft stuff. Plus, I have so much I didn't need anymore. But that cabinet, I still left the $14 sticker on it. And I use it. I put magnetic poetry on the front. And I put my some of my craft supplies in it. And I feel like, at, on one hand, I was like, you know, I really don't think... I didn't know this person. Do I really, should I really buy this? I mean, I don't know, you know. But I thought, no, this person, I don't know her, but I know she'd be happy to know that someone else was going to put craft supplies in it and that it's a very meaningful piece to me. But um, it's, I, I, I can't go to those sales. I mean, because I, I, I feel like kind of like an intruder in someone's life. Yeah, I really do too. I mean, I understand why that happened. And... Well, I understand, yeah, you need to have them happen because otherwise the family's overwhelmed with stuff they just exactly, have no use for. At the same time, like, I, oh, I feel, yeah, I just feel like an intruder, like you were saying. Like, it just really is like, oh. And, like, sometimes we'll even have, like, the closets open and, like, yeah. you your clothes. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, I know it's a cycle of life. I mean, we can't take all of our craft supplies with us. I mean, um. <laughs> oh, but if we could. <laughs> yeah, if we could. I'm just hoping that we're, you know, 
uh, when I get to the other side there, there's going to be a big mountain of yarn waiting for me because um, I want to exactly. keep knitting. I want to keep knitting in the afterlife, you know, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it sounds like um, your grandma is a big part of, you know, the inspiration behind craft leftovers. So you started making kits and stuff with your friend, but before that, it sounds like you were, you got your quilt block swap started. Because craft leftovers started after that, right? Right. It, it was actually like the quilt block swap started, and that was kind of the first step off the precipice kind of thing, like the big leap of faith, like, okay, I'm going to start this thing and try to organize it. And I just emailed, like, a bunch of people that I that had inspired me to kind of take that plunge and, um, you know, see if they wanted to join up. I don't know how I got that idea or why I thought it would work. And, and well, it most did. It worked. It, it did. Like, you and you and Sister Diane both joined up, and you guys both really inspired me to kind of just do it and stop thinking about it, just do it. And so it kind of just opened the door, like, well, what else could you do in the crafty realm? Like, what else... Mm-hmm you not see happening that you wish was there and um projects for just stuff laying around is like one of the big issues because everybody has a stash and and there's really there's projects that fill that need where you they're small enough um to use up your stash items Mm -hmm. but a lot of times i i don't know i really haven't seen a book or a website or something geared towards that where it's specifically for and from, you know, stashes. And so I wrote my first project from leftovers of two different um, yarn projects, and it was a water bottle sling. And I wrote the pattern for it and put it up on a blog and said, hey, this is what I'm doing, and just kind of went from there and started publishing patterns, like I think it was every other week at first. And, and it, you know, it was doing okay. It wasn't, like, doing fabulous. But I get a comment every now and then, and I'd see an image of one of the projects I had done pop up on Crafter or Flickr or something. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was kind of fun. I just kind of kept doing it. And my New Year's resolution, which was about at the six-month mark, I was like, okay, I'm going to really give this a shot, and if it doesn't work, then I'm going to drop it. And because it, it does take a bit of time, it takes probably about 10, maybe sometimes even 20 hours a week to write a pattern and everything else. And, um, and so I decided I was going to publish patterns every week. Like that was my thing. Like I always just kind of want to be in this mode because every other week it was like, I felt like I had a week off. Oh yeah. And so I'd stop thinking that way. And then it would be kind of like, Oh, I got to write a pattern. And, so I was like, well, maybe if I write a pattern every week, I'll just kind of always be in that mode. And it's not that I don't get a break. It's more like I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I guess I just don't. Well, you just have the momentum right. going because you're, you're doing this yeah. every single week, which is an yeah, ambitious thing. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, just to, I mean, I know that with my podcast, it's, you know, I try to, I wanted it ideally to be weekly but I mean like right now I'm behind it, I found that for me too it's really especially when you don't have a great deal of revenue um, in my case mm-hmm. my show does not make any money you know it's more of an investment where I invest time and my own money to keep it going and for you um, craft leftovers is really not I mean does it generate any money at all <laughs> kind of but not really um, 
not nearly enough to account for the time and everything that I put into it. And but it's it's so rewarding. I love it. And I just had a a happy birthday contest. Um, yeah, and, I saw that on there. Yeah, and so you know I didn't get like a ton of submissions, and but it was so fun because like people like sent me pictures of the hook clutch that I just published a couple months back or like about a month ago, uh-huh. and they're like. You know, I don't know if this even counts, but, you know, I, I made this from your pattern, and I made it from, you know, scraps of this and that, and, like, this one girl, she had made it from, I think it was, like, her favorite pair of jeans and then, like, a shirt or something like that, and it was so cute, and she, like, put buttons all over it, and, like, one said, I, I live to crochet, and I crochet to live, and I was like, oh, that's so cute, and they, like, sent me pictures of it, and it was so fun to, like, that people were enthusiastic, and they would like, quite a few of them actually wrote, like, this big, long email, like, explaining, like, you know, how whatever had influenced them and, like, kind of, like, a little life story about crafting and stuff. And that was, like, it just touched me so much. And and that's what I was actually doing this morning before you called as I was working on putting the images together so that way I could post the winners and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that, you know, and I think that's one of the things that, um, I mean, I totally understand why you do what you do because I'm doing something kind of similar where you, you start this project and then people respond to it and then you become addicted to it because I know I love hearing from people, you know, and I love talking to the crafty set. Um, so it's it's fun because it pays back in ways that money can't. Exactly. Not to and say that we wouldn't be, you know, loving to do this for a living, you know, and not have to worry about other things. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... Um the first thing you that was the other thing is like before um well when I first started to try to encourage feedback I would offer it was like a random drawing for a kit for a pattern published like you could pick any pattern that had been published and I would send you a kit for it and all you had to do is comment and you'd be entered into the drawing and it's it turned out that like it just got really expensive and um but I really liked the idea of kits and so I and it wasn't even really generating feedback, and so I had to kind of nix that idea. But I really loved the kits, and I really loved, like, offering my patterns in kits with, you know, either reclaimed stuff or with bought stuff, you know, whichever. And so that's when I started putting them in my Etsy shop, and that also started around the first of the year. Mm-hmm. And um, and how have the kits been doing? They actually, they sell really well, and I think my best seller has been the perfect dishcloth, and it's been really tough because I just want to offer them, like, so dirt cheap, like, just whatever I pay for them, that's what I want to offer them for, but as they're selling more, like, I have to face the fact that it's taking me longer and longer to put up, put enough together, and then the time it takes to, like, ship them, and business logistics, and all that other stuff, and I thought that I was at least recovering my cost of supplies. And so I sat down and I did the math the other day, and I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like such a stooge because, like... Well, I saw your you know, price on that. Isn't it, like, 350 Yeah, it is. Which, I mean, that actually pay for the yarn and the packaging and the supplies. It does pay for everything? It Yeah, but it in no way pays for the time that it takes. Yeah. Well, and I think, I, think, I think there's some room there. I mean, that is ridiculously cheap, and I think that... <laughs> <laughs> but that's an issue that a lot of crafters have. I mean, a lot of people in this really field is, is that you don't want to put a price tag. Like, cause for me, I want to keep my show free because exactly. I figure that's one of the, char- the, the charming thing about it is it's not perfect, but it's free. 
you know. Um, so, so I think that I really like the fact that it's free, and I can understand why you're trying to keep this so affordable. So a college student like yourself, you know, who mm-hmm. c- could afford to, to buy this kit and make something either as a gift or for themselves, and it keeps it all very nice and accessible. However, um, you, I think you probably have some room to raise your price a little bit and still be in the f- affordable category. I mean, if you were selling your kits for like $25 for a dishcloth thing, people would be like, okay, dream on, sister. You know, exactly. but three fifty. I mean, I think you could knock that up a little bit there and still, right. you know, because well, you're spending how many hours, would you say, on these kits, uh, getting things well, together? Between, between kits, answering emails, writing the pattern, which that is a huge variable depending if it comes out right the first time or not. And... Um, and now we're doing pattern testing, so sending out stuff to the pattern testers to test, you know, probably, probably a good 15, 20 hours at least. So who's doing your pattern <laughs> testing for you? Um, I actually have a group of about, I want to say there's 10, maybe even 12 volunteers. Um, I posted a few months back saying, hey, does anybody want to, you know, like, test patterns? And, and a bunch of people emailed me. It was so exciting. And, um... And so what happens is, like, I have them grouped into different categories depending on what kind of techniques they want to do, like sewing, knitting, crochet, no sew, both, whatever. And so whenever I write an extra pattern, um, lately it's been insane because I've been trying to write two or three patterns a week to try to get ahead before school starts. And um, so what I'll do is, like, if I come up with, like, a crochet pattern, I'll email everybody in the crochet list, and the first two people to respond get free kits. And, you know, I encourage anybody else's feedback, but I can only afford to send out two kits a week for free. Because it adds up really fast between shipping and handling, and I I like to send it by priority if I can. And so it's like 20 or 30 bucks a week. But it's so worth it because the quality of the patterns is going to go up by like 150% or something like that come the fall. Yeah. Because, you know, when you whip them out and eight hours on a Friday night, at, you know, up until like one o'clock in the morning or something, and then post it the next morning. There's going to be errors. It's just inevitable. And so now hopefully there won't be as many errors. And so the quality's really gone up a whole lot. Well, it sounds like this is um, really taken off for you because you already have pattern testers. I mean, that's really official. <laughs> And the PDFs, I, I mean, and the down, I mean, the, the way you're doing your, um, and I know you had a little computer mishap. Um, it's not little; it's kind of a major computer mishap here. Um, I I about hyperventilated. Well, why don't you tell people what happened to you? Well, I I recently bought a ferret, um, another ferret actually, and she's so now vulnerable. you have two. You have two. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she gets into stuff and does stuff that my other ferret has never done, and so it's taking me a while to adjust to that. And so I was working on stuff on my bed, which Bueller doesn't, or the one ferret that I've had for two years now, his name's Ferret Bueller, and the new one is a girl, and her name's Vaughn Peterson. And I know, so cheesy. (laughs) But she likes to jump up on the bed and get into everything. And I neglected to realize that she had been able to get up onto the bed. I didn't I didn't know she could. And so I was working on the bed, and I went into the other room to do whatever. And I come back, and my computer's off, and there is a half a cup of tea spilt all over oh, the no. keyboard. And it wouldn't turn back on. And it dried out, and um, I opened it up and took off the keyboard and stuff and let it dry out. And it turns on now, but it's like, 
kind of the blue screen of death, but the Apple version where it's the gray screen and it's just a little finder folder image and it switches from the finder icon to a question mark. And so it's kind of telling me like, hey, where's the drive I'm supposed to be booting off of? I'm like, oh no. Oh jeez, have you taken it in? No, I'm going to take it in on Wednesday. There's not an Apple store. Um anywhere around really so i'm gonna have to drive over to schaumburg which is about an hour away and see if there's anything that they can do and i'm gonna try to recover my hard drive which honestly i'm way more upset about that than anything else because i've i've been such a bad person and i neglected to back up all my files this past month and a half and so i have about three months worth of patterns on my computer and some of them have doubles on my external but most of them were just on my computer. So Well, the, the good thing is you have your website, so you can recover some of your stuff that you've posted. Exactly, but unfortunately it's not like the originals. Of so course not. So really it's low res. I can't really alter them, so I'm going to have to retype them all. Oh, and I'm going to have to reshoot all the projects, which oh, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. And, um, and the biggest thing is that the, the patterns that I was getting tested and I haven't sent out to the pattern testers yet or half written. We're just like, I have a, a really long list of ideas for craft leftovers mm-hmm. that I just kind of keep adding to. Yeah. On. And so I'm going to have to like go through my sketchbook and try to like redo them. But thankfully I had sent PDFs to the pattern testers. So I can at least recover those from the emails that I sent. Right. Like, my goodness. Well, and it seems like it's like setbacks like this. Um, I've had my hard drive blow up. Um, and one of the things it taught me, and it seems like you almost have to have your hard drive blow up before you um, <laughs> learn the value of like backing up the hard drive, which my husband actually just backed mine up yesterday, too. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to have to make it like a weekly thing. Yeah, because I'm finding that um, a lot of the stuff that I do and a lot of the photos, everything, you want to have copies of that. But it's kind of a, yeah, a little tip to the folks at home. You know, if you don't yeah. think there's a reason to back up your hard drive, back take it, it from up. us. There's a re- there's a couple a couple good reasons because when you lose all the stuff, especially if you're designing something or you just have your your projects or your family photos saved, you want to make sure the family that family photos are the biggest thing because usually what you do is you move all your photos to your computer and then you delete them off your camera. Right. And they're gone. Right. And you don't necessarily have hard copies. Right. What what I do also is every so often, um, well, my husband does this. He'll burn photos onto CDs and then we'll give them like I think we'll give them to um, someone else to to put in their house like my fa- my mom I think has some on disc just to so she can it, so if something happens and for some reason our our copies are destroyed or our computer blows up we have another place we can get them because that's the thing with digital photos is that sometimes you just can't you know you can't get your images because you lose them and that's devastating you know so really is and but it sounds yeah. like you're find, you're going to find a way to to keep plugging along here well i think like recovering from the website recovering from emails i sent out and then uh, thankfully i have a, my old laptop it's a sony vio and it's like 5 years old but it still works i can still get online it has you know adobe creative suite and so i'm good <laughs> It just it's Windows and it's like ah I'm on Windows again it stinks and I might be a little disgruntled but it'll be okay and 
I don't know. And, well, the thing is, too, that really bothers me, and I'm also very thankful for, is the whole mishap with the sewing machine. I don't know if it was the crunch to get my dress done before the blocker conference Mm -hmm. or what, but when I went to go sew again after the conference, it just wasn't working. Like, no matter what adjustment I put it on, it just would not stitch. Like, it just wasn't grabbing the yarn from below. I mean, the 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 thread, thread, yeah. I was going to say, maybe that's your problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> maybe. I push it and put yarn on my bobbin. No. Um, yeah, so so it's just dead, and, and like, the needle was hitting the metal plate, and so I think I just totally knocked it out of alignment, and, you know, it's, like, a $150 machine. I don't want to really dump 90 bucks into it. Oh, that's how much it was going to cost is 90 bucks to fix it? Yeah, like, yeah, for computerized or digital sewing machines um it's an automatic flat fee of about 60 bucks to get it repaired and then if you need parts or if there's extra labor involved it's gonna be more oh my goodness yeah so older machines i found out though are only like 30 bucks to get worked on because it's just like you know screws and metal stuff and it's not like little plastic things that break apart and So I was looking at, like, possibly getting a heavy-duty, like, Janome or Viking or something, and I'm like, there's no way I can afford that, and, but it's really what I needed, and so I actually posted on Craft Leftovers, like, help, you know, I can't sew, I'm, I'm going through withdrawal, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, I said, buy stuff in the shop, you can donate money, um, if you have an old machine, that's awesome, if you want to donate it, you know, I'll pay for shipping or whatever. And I actually had two people offer me their old machines. And somebody um, donated some money, and then people bought stuff from the shop. This one woman, she actually gave me her old Baby Lock Encore, which is, like, a really nice machine. Wow. And then through the donations and the people buying stuff in the shop, that paid for all the shipping and handling costs. Wow, that's great. Yeah, so, I mean, so my laptop broke, but... Through the generosity of the crafting community, at least I didn't have to buy, or I don't have to buy a laptop and a sewing machine. Right, right, and you can still keep sewing. I know I've been on a, so I'm still on a sewing kick, and it's, uh, yeah, I would be very upset. In fact, when I had to take my, my machine, I jammed it up. It's, I have a singer that I use, and it's, it's supposed to be one of those industrial strength things, but I bought it from a tattooed man out of the back of a, of a truck marked singer, so, so... <laughs> So I kind of, I think I kind of deserve what I get from from this experience. But um, it it's a pretty heavy duty machine, but it's not really good. Like if I want to do like applique or anything that's with cotton fabrics, it's you know more gentle. I seem to really jam the thing up, and it could be also my applique skills are less than to be desired <laughs> at this point. But yeah, so I'm hoping to buy an, a new machine at some point, and uh, you want to get a nice one. I'm gonna make sure I get the right one. But um, when my machine was in, I took it in. And I they told me, oh, yeah, you know, in a couple of days we can tell you how much it's going to be and it should be, be fixed, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, you know. So two days later I didn't hear anything, so I call. I'm like, yeah, I'm calling about my machine, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, yeah, we haven't looked at it yet. And, and I'm thinking, I have projects I need to do. You know, and I didn't really have any, like, immediate deadline. Or actually I did. I was still in the quilt block swap at the time. And I, so I have oh, some yeah. stuff I have to do. I have to get this thing out. Oh, well, you know, it's going to be – I said, all right, I'm going to have to come and pick it up and take it to another store. And it was only when I said that did this repair shop, like, 
get on the ball, you know. But I don't think people understand, like, when you're in a shop, sometimes surrounded by machines, that you could sew on any one of them if you wanted to, how urgent and how desperate some people become if they don't get their machine back right away. So, you oh, know. Exactly. Like, if somebody took all my, you know, knitting needles and crochet hooks, I'd be like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, you know, and when it's you have to hand me a paper bag. Well, and it's not like a machine. I mean, a sewing machine, you can't just, like, you know, do any, I mean, with, you know, knitting or crocheting, if you lose a hook or you can't find the right size or you don't, the shop's closed and you don't have the right size needles, you can work on another project with another size needle to kind of get your fix. But when you're mm-hmm. sewing, there's no other. You need a sewing machine. Yeah, you need a sewing well, machine. Well, you could sew by hand, but. That's just not the not same. For, yeah. If you have the need for speed, you're not going to get that. <laughs> using, you know, anything but your sewing machine, but yeah, so well, I'm glad to hear that that you survived the sewing machine debacle, and it sounds like you're going to work your way through using Yeah, um, I'm still saving up money, because I do want to get, like, uh, they're called Jukies, and, and they're a lot, but, you know, you can sew through, like, lots of vinyl, and lots of leather, and stuff like that, like, really heavy stuff. And so is that what they're for? Like, just, just for heavy duty? just straight stitch and you just like plow through anything and don't you dare get your hand under there because you'll like sew your hands or something my <laughs> goodness and them. what who produ- who produces these things um it's called juki i think it's j-u-k-i we have them in the fiber arts department at my school and are they just little machines or are they big monsters they're not like big monsters but they're just they almost look like old-fashioned sewing machines like they'd almost have a foot Okay. Or whatever. Okay. But they don't, and um, but it's just forward, reverse, straight stitch, and they're just made so solid, and they're made to like not budge for anything, and and their motors are really strong, and will just go through anything you stick under them, which is really great for like fiber arts work because you need to be able to know that you know you can sew through anything. Right. Right. And instead not of, just your standard, you know, like cling fabric. Right, and then you you know you're not going to have to bust you're not going to bust a bunch of needles and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's an issue I have a lot, honestly, with machines is that I'm always breaking needles and I'm always I'm always getting them more than they should be chewing on and. Yeah, I I just busted both needles in my serger the other day, and I had oh, a serger that I hadn't used forever. Like I had I got this thing back in I want to say 2005. Mm-hmm. And I kept, um, I just never, every time I wanted to do a project, I'd be like, oh, I'll skip the surging part because I don't know how to use the machine. Mm-hmm. And then I'd look, I'd get it out and I'd look at it and I'm like, man, this looks really complicated to thread it. I'll just skip the surging part. And I did this like <laughs> countless times and I'm thinking, I have this nice serger, why? And this is ridiculous. So finally, um, it was over a week ago, I took it out and um, my daughter, um, we were at the dining room table, and Abby was holding. She's the vice president of fun at Craft Sanity here, and she um, ha- likes flashlights. And so I said, hey, Abby, do you have to know where that flashlight I gave you to play with this? And she's like, oh, yes, Mama, I'll go get it. You know. And so she's rifling through her toy bin. She comes back with this thing. I was amazed she was able to retrieve it because I thought she'd have no idea. And so she held a flashlight while I <laughs> struggled to um, thread this thing. And I still feel like I haven't quite gotten the hang of it um, I was making, um, I have a lot of pregnant, both my sisters were, they're not pregnant anymore, they just had babies, and another friend of mine's pregnant, and so I've been making a lot of baby-related stuff, so I was making nursing pads, um, which are just, you know, for breastfeeding moms, you know, because I made all of my own, and I thought, well, so I'm trying to sew through four layers of 
cotton flannel, and <laughs> I'm just kind of plowing through. And I, I mean, I can handle the straight surge, the stitch just up and down, you know. Um, when you're going around in a circle with a brand new machine that you've never, you know, really mastered, they look like basically they got trapped under a lawnmower a little bit. Like these things are, they're looking a little, a little rough, but um, they're for my sister. And she's like, well, it's not like I'm going to be flashing them around anyway, <laughs> you know. No like one's they're gonna a nursing pad. Yeah, yeah, no one's going to see these. You know, it's like I, you wear it on the outside of your shirt or anything. So thank God, because these look pretty pretty terrible but um you know but I was just laughing because I was just like you know I mean because surging it's kind of a um intimidating thing but um yeah I broke both needles so at the last the last one I broke uh both needles so I'm doing something wrong either it's threaded wrong or something but um it could be like the tension even if the yeah well because you're, or... you're working with four spools of thread so it's kind of like there's a lot that can go wrong yeah it's kind of, yeah it's kind of intimidating um well, that was another thing of my grandma's that I was like, okay, I have this amazing serger. If I sell it because I need money, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy another one for a really long time because, right. you know, my dad always tells me the story about how we had a potter's wheel, and they needed money and so they sold it, and we don't have a potter's wheel anymore, and we'll probably never have a potter's wheel in my parents' house again because it was just like of that time and. So I've kind of learned, like, those tools that you think, like, you're in a crunch and you should sell off to try to make some money. It's like, no, just, like, work more hours or get another job. Don't don't sell your potter's wheel. Don't sell your serger. And so I did it and I kept it and I finally learned how to use it. And it's just, like, revolutionized my life as far as clothing goes, especially mm-hmm. because it's, like, I can take some old shirt or whatever and I'll just, like, safety pin it where I want to pull it in and alter it. Mm-hmm and turn it, um, well, I'll turn it inside out, try it on, safety pin it where I want it to be altered, and then I'll just take over my serger and just whoop, whoop, and done. Right, because it cuts the, I mean, cuts the, um, we'll mm-hmm. cut it and, and make a nice uh, little seam there, so it's really cool. It's so fast. It's yeah. awesome. So I so. still have to get to the point where I'm mastering it, but... But, yeah, I think that's a great point, though, because I think a lot of people that, um, you know, anytime there's money's tight, they look around and try to sell stuff off. I think that's, your father taught you a very valuable lesson. Yeah, and it's been, it's been really tough because sometimes it's like, well, you know, I would really like to get more groceries than just baked potatoes and, or potatoes for baking and maybe some butter and milk and cereal, but, you know, that'll pass. Now, so. are you, because um, you said you're in your last year of school. Mm-hmm. And what are your plans after you finish? Um, well, it's actually been pretty it's been pretty amazing. Um, I have a very ambitious, who knows if I'll actually get it done, senior project planned. And so I'll be working on that for the next year. And Do you care to I'm talk gonna... about that? What, what is your senior project? <laughs> oh, um, I've been collecting junk mail since March. And I've been kind of working on it and... Um, Basically, it's just going to be called a year of junk mail, and everything is going to be made out of junk mail. And um, I've been researching traditional paper working methods, mm-hmm. and so I'm doing like quilling and paper making, and origami and mobile construction, and um, paper pulp sculptures, paper pulp casting. I might do some animation with some paper pulp and have, like, some TVs going with the animation. 
and like stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's just going to be this huge installation. And the whole point is to kind of show like not only like how overwhelming junk mail is, just one person's junk mail in just one year, mm-hmm. but also like all the other things, like how much raw material that is not being used and like all the things that could be made out of it, like paper, decorative motifs, mobiles, whatever. Well, that's you know, really cool. And so how much junk mail have you gotten already? I have probably about two or three garbage bags full. Oh my goodness. Which it doesn't, I mean, if you think about it, like, well, how is that going to fill a whole entire gallery? Well, if I take 20 pieces of junk mail, which is, you know, nowhere near a garbage bag full, and I shred that down and make it into paper pulp, I can make about 20 sheets of really nice paper from that. And if I take just one insert from one, like, ad thingy and cut it into strips and do quilling with it, which is, like, you roll the paper and then you glue it all together and it makes kind of this scrolly leaf mm-hmm. motif, you know, that'll make about a one-foot section, just one insert. Wow. We'll make about a one-foot section of quilting. So it's going to be... It's going to be interesting, and um, at my last critique for my um, advanced painting class, which is funny, I'm doing this for my painting class, actually, but... Um, Will there be painting involved in it? No. No. <laughs> but that's kind of the way it is in advanced classes. Like, you get to a point where the professor is like, okay, you're a painting major, I know you can paint, you've taken all your, your lower painting classes, and you're here now what's your idea and what's going to meet up with it? It doesn't necessarily have to be painting. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the best medium to get your idea across? Like, what's the best way to communicate what's important to you? And so for this, it's it's really important that it's just entirely junk mail and nothing else. Like, for the, I want to create this really large mobile, and so it might be... Um, I, I might have to create, like, a support structure for it, but that would probably be the only thing that's not junk mail. Wow. And, that's going to um, be really cool. Yeah, it's really weird. And, and I've got, like, a couple interns to help me. <laughs> so <laughs> like, you're just I'm not even out of school. Here. How can I have interns? But I had a critique with a visiting artist, and my professor was there, and then the other students were there. It was, like, a group critique. And, um, and he was... And, and I was, like, telling them how I'm already getting really behind and it's just piling up and I don't know how I can process this much junk this much junk mail. And he's like, well, it sounds like your idea is really solid and and you should just get interns. He's, he's like, you should just have studio systems come in and help you and help you to process the raw material into whatever. So, like, they'll help me break it down into paper pulp. And they'll help me, like, cut it into strips for the quilling. And they might even help me do some of the quilling. But um, just a lot of that really intensive work that's not necessarily the creative process, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. And I kind of joke around. And I'm like, yeah, it's like I'm freaking Andy Warhol, you know, because that's kind of what he would do is he would come up with an idea for some kind of silkscreen motif or whatever. And then he would have the people who hung out in the studio, they would do a lot of the actual silk screening process for him. I see. And so I just 
I don't know. I, I think it's so funny. And, I'm, you know, and there's people who, like, volunteered on the spot to help me with it. Well, that's great. And I think, well, it sounds like, I mean, instead of having to scale back your project tremendously, you're still going to be able to do it on a grand scale. So that's kind of neat that you're asking for the help, you know. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And the people are really great to work with. Like, you know, they they say that they're getting stuff out of it because the way it's working is that, like, I'm teaching them how to do everything that I'm doing for this project. So, like, paper making, quilling, origami. And then some of them are fiber arts majors or they're interested in fiber arts, I should say. And so, you know, I'm teaching them how to crochet and knit and weave and, and that kind of stuff. And, like, so are you crocheting, knitting, and weaving paper as well? Um, I don't know. I've actually been thinking about... Um, I've been trying to, like, brainstorm if there's some way that I could shred it fine enough to somehow make it into yarn, but I don't know, to, like, spin it. Yeah, I have actually tried experimenting with that myself with newspaper, and mm -hmm. um, it's I haven't had any real success with that, but I haven't spent enough time. But I think you'd probably need some, you'd need some kind of foundation, either thread or... Or probably waste yarn or something. Yeah, to I was thinking like you probably need some kind of wool or something that you could spin it. Yeah, into. and you probably need it to be wet too. The 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 paper. Yeah, possibly that might help. I don't know. I, but I'm not sure. And if anything, I could just um, take long thicker strips of it and make that into yarn. Mm -hmm. And that would be fairly easy. And just use like huge jumbo needles. I think it might be kind of interesting to like knit a long like curtain and kind of drape it yeah. somewhere or something. I don't know. I don't know. There's so many possibilities. Well, so that's part of the fun. It sounds like that's kind of one of the general themes of everything you do, is that you don't do just one thing. You don't just knit. You don't just crochet. <laughs> you do. And I think that's, for me, I mean, that's something I love about, you know, just what I do is it's I get to be have a hand in everything, which is really fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess you could say that I'm I forget the phrase now, but basically I, I'm not really a master of any of them, but I don't know, I, I guess it's really, I've had to work hard on my concepts, to, well, at least in my artwork, I've really had to work on the concept to get it to go together, because a lot of people, not necessarily anymore, but traditionally, you know, you're just a painter, or you, you're a fiber artist, or whatever, and and to try to bring all those into one project is, it creates a lot of issues and it always gets brought up like, well, why did you use that medium or that technique? And so I really have to have a reason behind everything that I use in my work because if it doesn't fit in, if it's excessive or if I don't really need to be crocheting it or whatever, you know, it, it can exist in that project. And so you're a junk sale is has really kind of been a way to, like, get me to be able to explore any kind of paper work that I want for the next year what is the best <laughs> without anybody asking why. <laughs> what is the best junk mail to work with? Uh, it really kind of depends on what you're doing. I would say that for origami, um, thinner junk mail, almost like, like a lower weight than cardstock, um, like advertising, like mm -hmm. those um, coupon ads you get that's like the really thin yeah. newspaper ad kind of stuff. That's like really nice for um, 
origami. For quilling, I really like the thicker, glossy stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, like, thick card stuff that come in those, like, political ad campaign ones. Mm-hmm. And then for making paper, I use everything. Because I really like the way the different, like, paper fibers kind of interact with each other. And I'll even use, like, the cellophane um, plastic windows. Like, those get shredded up and put into the paper, too. So there's, like, these little shiny weird melted parts because I'll, I'll press my paper with an iron and kind of discolor and oh, burn it a little okay, bit. Okay. And so, like, the plastic will kind of, like, melt and get all weird. Interesting. And, so you just throw everything in. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing is, like, so there'll be, like, little staples and stuff sticking out of the paper, too. Oh, so do you end up um, hurting your blender or whatever you're using to, to mash well, stuff up? I have a craft blender and a craft iron, and then I have, like, my house blender. <laughs> okay, I actually have a craft blender, too, because I have gone through the whole um, paper making, at the height of the paper making in my house. I actually have a screen, a giant screen, too, that I laid the paper out on. So, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> and, you know, if I see the staples, like, a lot of times I'll take those out and put them into the paper pulp separately. I won't necessarily put those in the blender. Right, right. But, you know, sometimes you miss them or whatever. Yeah, and only I would ask you such an inane question about the staples affecting your blender. Hey, no, that's a good question, though. Uh. <laughs> good question. <laughs> and so the other thing is that um, with this whole project, I want to host a series of workshops on the different paper-making methods, and that would be part of the ongoing installation in the galleries that you could come and stop by, and because you know, I'll continue to get junk mail even while... This show right, there's no end well. to junk mail. Exactly. So I'll continue to add things to it as the installation's up. And so are you going to um, do something with the paper that you make? Like, will, the, will that be just a piece of paper as a finished product? Or are you going to be well, fit, doing something with that paper? That was that was kind of like a, a big question for me because originally I was going to do drawings on it. And I guess that kind of comes down to what I was saying earlier about, like, the excess of ideas because I just want to do everything. And so I wanted to incorporate drawing. And pen and ink drawings look really cool on the paper because of the way it absorbs the ink. Mm -hmm. And and so I was kind of like, you know, I don't really know, like, what would my subject matter be and, like, how would that apply? And it was kind of creating all these issues. And so the visiting artist was like, just don't draw on it. He's like, you know, the fact that you're making all this paper out of just junk mail is kind of monumental enough. And he's like, I think you should just have facts of it. And so that's what I'm I'm gonna do. Like that, it was just like, oh, well, duh. I'm just overcomplicating things again. Because mm-hmm. you want it to end at some point so you can graduate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that, that it sounds like you'll have a lot of um, maybe some uh, patterns you can write too, just from some of your from some of the origami projects and. Things well, like that. it's been kind of tough because I wanted to like put them up now, but it's like no, I should really hold off on that. Like I should wait until I get this done. So. It's its own separate project. Like, right. I'm always trying to combine my projects together. It's like, no, oh, maybe, you know, this is my project. I should just let it be its own thing for now. And, but I'll combine them later. And Let's get back to craft leftovers and, and kind of your, your vision. Because I know you have your Etsy shop, and you also, well, you have a couple of different um, Etsy things. Because you also have Green Prairie Fibers, um, which is your hand-dyed fibers. And did you start that before or after craft leftovers? Um, I started that afterwards. It was in September... Um, I, you know, I don't even, why did I start that? 
Oh, okay. So there's my last summer I was taking this drawing class and I did these little woven tapestries and it was about organic versus inorganic and um and so I was using like acrylic yarns and then wool and then cotton and then, you know, like superimposing these like organic leaf forms with black prints on them. And one of the things that my professor brought up is, you know, she's like, you're talking about organic and inorganic and, like, well, what are the dyes that are used to these yarns? And she, like, brought up all these issues. And so I was like, well, maybe I should, like, look at natural dyeing and for some of my works to make it more, you know, sound. And so I started kind of experimenting with that, and I got a, a book from the local yarn shop. We have a lending library there, and it was on natural dyeing, and I played around with dyeing with you know, onion skins and then walnuts and and I kind of became addicted, like I do. <laughs> and so I started dyeing way more yarn than I could possibly knit. And so I started a little online Etsy shop where you could buy where you could buy the yarn and um kinda like with craft leftovers I priced it way too cheap. And so I've had to do a series of increases and it's still probably too cheap, but whatever. And so that's kind of been really fun for me for the last six months or so. I've really worked on it and been dying a lot. And then um, and then I started to realize that when I was dying in my kitchen afterwards, my throat would feel kind of raw because you have to use, like, iron or tin mordants. And so I started using acid dyes. And so I started to develop um, different colorways based on botanical illustrations of wildflowers from this book I have, and then there's, like, these really detailed descriptions of the flowers and, like, what they look like, and and then there's no illustrations for them. Like, there's illustrations for some, but not all of them. Oh, yeah. And so, like, these colors would kind of fill my mind, like, as I was reading this passage about what this flower looked like, And, and so that's what the colorways are based on is it's kind of like what I imagine this flower would look like. And then I look up what the flower actually does look like, and and then I do a pen and ink drawing of that, and, and that's what goes on the label. And then the description, like the excerpt, excerpt from the book, goes onto the, lab, onto the label as well. Wow, that's really great. So everything's very thoughtful. Like, I mean, you're putting a lot of effort into everything. The name of the fiber when you get done, the colorway, all that. And are you um, painting, hand-painting these? Um, some I kettle dye, and then some I... It's not exactly painting. It's um, What you do is you create a steam bath, and you lay the wet fiber a little bit above it, and then you kind of pour the dye on it. Okay. And then it lets it set, and then you add more, and et cetera. But I'm going to start doing hand-painted, which I suppose it kind of is hand-painting. It's just a different, it's like a pouring method, As I opposed guess. to brushing it on, or, yeah. Yeah. So is, you're planning to continue that, too? Oh, yeah. And I think, like, I'm going to continue the natural dye, but um, I think what it was is that I was starting to get carried away, and so I was having, like, two pots going at the same time, and, you know, like... 20-something skeins of yarn, and so it's harder to keep it safe. And so now I'm just doing, like, a small pot with, like, eight skeins at a time Mm -hmm. for the natural dyeing. 
And so, unfortunately, you know, that makes it so it's a lot more expensive. So it's like, you know, 32 bucks or whatever to, to get enough to, you know, knit a pair of socks. But it's really gorgeous. And it's so fun to see how, like, the, you know, you get this green dye stuff and then it comes out like this, this sage or this really beautiful, like, or with walnuts, like, that's probably my favorite dye stuff because it's just so, like, pow, like, right there. And, you know, you get dark brown and rough brown and, and light gray and dark gray and, um, you know, silvers and golds and just depending on, you know, if you're doing an exhaust dye or if it's the first time. And, and so that's, like, really fun. And I love that process because you never know what color you're going to get. Now, what kind of... Um... Where are you getting your yarn? Like, are you just buying white or like a... Um, yeah, well, there's this Etsy shop that's called Thick Chick Designs, and if anybody is interesting, interested in dyeing, like, you should go there because she's really nice, and um, she has all these different types of yarns for dyeing. And so I would just buy my yarn from her, but um, I still buy some yarn from her, but I buy a lot of my yarn wholesale now for that. And... And through looking for wholesale accounts for um, Green Prairie Fibers, I've actually opened up wholesale accounts for the yarn for the kids for craft leftovers as well, which has been a big, like, a huge step in um, reducing my costs. And how hard was that? Because you're not a big, you're not going to be a big purchaser right now because you're starting kind of small. You know, is it hard to convince companies to do a wholesale business with you? Um, not not too difficult. The biggest thing is minimum opening orders because a lot of places like um, Patton's and um, Lamb's Pride, they both have like huge minimum opening orders. Like Patton's is like 1500 and Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I just don't have that much money. So like that's the, that was the hardest thing. Is, and like with undyed yarn, it's hard to find a place that spins yarn where you're not ordering like you know, freight or something. Right. And so I was able to, I was, I got really lucky and I was able to find, um, through the owner of the yarn shop that I work at, she's been really supportive and she gave me a lot of names of yarn companies that she thought had lower minimum opening orders and none at all. And so Kramer Yarns is really great and they have a lot of undyed yarns and their line is called like Natural Stains and so that's what I get for dyeing yarn. And then um, I, I get peaches and cream yarn. And so I opened up an account with them. Yeah, and to so. do that, all you have to have is your business registered and have mm -hmm. a tax number. Yeah, you have to have a tax ID. And, and that's pretty much it, you know, proof that you're in business and you're not just buying for yourself kind of thing. Like, so if you have an Etsy shop, you can, you know, send them a link to your Etsy shop so they can see that you're actually... Doing something. Yeah, yeah, that you're actually selling stuff. <laughs> yeah, and that's just crazy and hoarding a bunch of yarn. <laughs> Not that it's yeah, crazy. Well, I have, like, I have like a little yarn shop in my apartment now. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you, have you, do you find that there's a lot of, you know, you're making more socks because you have this great sock yarn? or? No, I actually, this is, this is a really bad thing, but I've only finished, like, I want to say two pairs of socks yeah and um the one pair that I finished with my own yarn 
that I dyed. It was the walnut dyed yarn. I actually lost one of the socks. Oh, and no. I think I finished it when I was at Jason's place in Ames. And I came back, and it was just gone. So I don't know. Well, maybe he'll find <laughs> I'm it. Cursed. I doubt it. His, yeah. <laughs> He's as disorganized as I am. It's his own organization, though. Uh, well, so um, what else would you like people to know about what you're doing? I mean, because you're, you're, you're still keeping up this weekly pace of posting a new project every single week out of recycled materials or things you can have on hand, like out of minimal fabric or um, minimal yarn. Um, it's just not something that requires a great deal of time or supplies and keeping expenses low. And this is all totally free that you're doing mm -hmm. this. I mean, people, this is something that... Um, I mean, it's a great way to get project ideas that are totally free. Um, wh what else would you like people to know? Um, obviously, we want them to know they can support you by either buying something from the Craft Leftover Shop or Green Prairie Fibers. They want some great yarn. But what else would you like people to know about what you're doing? Oh, um, I suppose the, the address to the Green Prairie Fibers Shop would be a good idea. It's just greenprairiefibers.etsy.com. And... Um, and I'll put Craft links left. to all that stuff on my website, too. So okay, to okay, that's yeah. good. And um, I don't know, I guess, oh, um, I forgot to mention this. Really, going back to the pricing issues with the kits and everything, um, so that way it's, it's not cost prohibitive for me. I'm going to start including um, hooks and needles in the kits. And so soon, like, when you get a kit, like, everything will be in the kit. It'll be... Like, you can just give it to somebody, and they can start making it right there. Oh, that's great. And so that's been really exciting. And then, um... And so do you have to open up more wholesale accounts to get the supplies? Yeah, um, I'm talking to Clover to try to get bamboo needles and hooks from oh, them. Oh, that'll be nice. They're great. Yeah. Well, I figure, like, well, what I'm doing is, like, when you order a kit, it'll come with, like, a plastic hook or aluminum needles. But if you want to, you can upgrade to, like, bamboo. And you can also, like, upgrade the yarn. Like, instead of getting um, vintage reclaimed yarn that's most likely, like, acrylic or something that I found at the thrift store or whatever, you can upgrade to, like, Academy Tweed, which is a really nice cotton acrylic blend. Or you can upgrade to, like, Cotton Fleece, which is um, a really nice cotton wool blend. You know, things like that. So that way you have the options to to make it... I guess, higher quality mm -hmm. if you have the money to put into that, like, if you want to spend that much. But at the same time, like, if you just want to get a nice kit to, like, make something fun for yourself or for your friend, you know, it's not going to be really expensive. What, what would you say the biggest challenge has been, starting a business for yourself? Um, not spending too much money. Like, it's been so hard to say, okay, I'm only going to spend this much this month on on buying supplies or on web space. And um, recently, a big issue has been that I've um, kind of outgrown my bandwidth limit twice. And so when Jason, he's hosting the craftleftovers.com space, and um, so I'm taking up half of his server space right now with Craft Leftovers from Pattern Downloads. So when it comes time to renew... I'm going to have to shell out a big chunk of change to pay for all those gigs of space that, you know, Craft Leftovers is eating up. And mm -hmm. 
So that's been kind of a challenge. And I would say money is definitely the challenge. And um, not getting burnout, like not investing too much time. Like, right, because what do you do you when, you're not, when, when you're not doing craft leftovers or your, your artwork for school? What, what are you doing? What do you do with, with your spare time? Sleeping. Sleeping? <laughs> Good move. That's probably it. So you have the energy to keep the stuff. Yeah. Well, it's always kind of going. Like, even when I'm doing other things, it's like, I, I don't know, in like all my projects now, like, I can't remember the last time that I just made a project for myself that wasn't like something that was going to be for craft leftovers or for green prairie fibers or whatever. I'm starting to design um, some different sock patterns to make out of uh, yarn that I've dyed. And so those will be available on the Green Prairie Fibers website. It'll be like Intarsia and um, Fair Isle work and maybe some cabling. And so, but every, everything's kind of been like pattern writing. So I always have like something with me in my sketchbook and well, and you must have some kind of natural, I mean, a lot of natural um, instinct here, because it sounds like you're, um, I mean, you haven't, I, I could be wrong, but it seems like a lot of the stuff you're doing is really coming out of your head, not really something you've learned from somebody else. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's really bizarre, I guess. Um, a lot of it's just, I think, being homeschooled, because, you know, my mom would teach me stuff to a point, but a lot of it was me learning on my own. Mm-hmm. And especially once I got older and... Um, you know, it kind of got to the point where I was just teaching myself out of a book. And so anytime I think of something to do, I just look it up and learn how to do it. And I think that's just kind of spoken into me now. Well, it sounds like it's serving you well and it's serving the rest of us well, too, because you're putting <laughs> some wonderful project ideas out there. And I noticed that you're one of your, uh, well, by the time this airs, there will be more projects up there, but... Um, I love the um, little stitch marker pattern that you just put up there, project um, oh, polymer, yeah, that polymer was, clay. That I mean, so fun. Yeah, and I wouldn't have really, I mean, that's not something I would have thought of, to use just straight pins and polymer clay and poke the pins into the, the polymer and then, you know, cut off the pointy end and twist it down, and it's so fun. And, I mean, Christmas, people are probably, this is a good time for people to be thinking ahead for Christmas mm-hmm. so they don't um, freak out, you know, the week before. Try I've to make, been trying. Yeah. So, well, your your site is going to be a great resource for people who are looking for just quick projects that are fairly easy. So it's really um, wonderful. And I, I mean, looking back at your at your site, I mean, when you see all these projects you've done, what do you think about? Um, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, what do you think about what you've been able to do in a short amount of time? Um, I don't know. I guess. It's kind of neurotic, but I always think like, oh, man, I I wish I could have posted this instead. Or um, what if I would have, you know, made this little thing like that instead? Like I'm always like revising over and over again. It's kind of, it's kind of bad. So, and I think the biggest thing is like I look back and I'm like, wow, those patterns are really bad. (laughs) And like... I guess it's just, you know, like when you look at drawings from a year ago, it's like, oh, what was I thinking? That's horrible. And, you know, some of them I still really like, but as far as the quality of, like, the pattern writing goes mm-hmm. and, like, the writing style, like, in the last year, I've just, I've really improved. And that's been really exciting for myself to see that, like, it's becoming a second language to me. It's not 
or first language even, it's not, um, like, people can understand it, I think, Mm -hmm. a lot better than they could before. Like, I think that a lot of my patterns were kind of disjointed, and the instructions were really vague, and, um, and so I'm hoping in another year it'll be even better. And it seems like I'm consistently having better patterns, like the ideas are better and, and the fi- finished projects are better. And and so that's, that's been really exciting. Well, I think it's really cool. And I think it's you know, inspiring, too, to, to, for people who, I mean, you can get an idea and just go with it. And you've done that. And it'll be interesting to see where you are in another year you know, to see what's going on. So what future plans do you have as far as, I mean, you um, want to graduate and everything, but as far as craft leftovers goes, what, what's next? Well, the, the thing with the kits and getting its own site, and so it's not um, on Blogger and Etsy, which are great starting points, but I think craft leftovers is starting to kind of outgrow it and really getting a, a searchable pattern archive, mm-hmm. like, that's, a big deal to me because a lot of the times the names are kind of nondescript, like they don't necessarily make sense for what the pattern is unless you know what the pattern is. Right. And so to be able to search for like, you know, by technique or time it takes or whatever, you know. And then um, next year, once I graduate, my big thing that I'm like kind of starting to think about that I'm trying not to get too excited about I'm going to open up a working studio once I move out to Ames. And the way it's going to work is it's pretty much going to be like my online store in a retail spot. And so you can come in and like you can buy a kit or you can buy yarn or whatever and I'll show you how to make it if you need help. Or you can oh, just cool. come in and hang out. So it'll almost be like a yarn store but it'll be like a craft shop. And I'm calling it a working studio because, you know, I I dabble in everything, and so, like, I can't really have a retail store because it wouldn't make sense because I do too many different things. Mm -hmm. And so it'll kind of just be like, I'll come in and work every day, and and you can come in and hang out if you want, or you can come in and buy stuff and leave if you want, And but it'll be, like, just my workspace, but it'll be open to the public. Well, I think that sounds fantastic. In fact, I have um, if money was no object, I would open a similar place here in Grand Rapids because I think we totally need one. Because I, I think it's great when you have places like Make um, where people can go in, and I think they're New York or California or maybe both, where you know it's kind of like you can go in, you can work on things, you can rent time on a sewing machine, you know. And yeah, just... and that's what I was also hoping to do is like um, it. It kind of just really hit me like pretty hard that that's what I want to do because I was at the yarn shop yesterday and. This woman um, wanted to buy a kit for my shop, and so I just took it out of the inventory, you know, and kind of reserved it for her. And um, she was like, you know, now it's been a really long time since I've, I've crocheted, but I really want to make your perfect dishcloth. Like, I really love that pattern, and I really want to make one. And so she bought a kit for it, and she's like, will you show me how to make it? And I was like, of course. And it was so fun. Like, I love showing people how to make my patterns because it's like, I don't know, it's like the sharing and like teaching and I just really love that. And so I kind of want to set up that environment where people can just come in and I'll I'll just teach them anything they want to know. And I'll have like extra sewing machines and, you know, and then I'll also be selling like the reclaimed craft leftovers and um, 
and it'll be my studio in the back room. And so I'll be back there working, and if you come in, you can just, like, grab me in. You know, there's always stuff I can do in the front of the store. And kind of the way I got this idea was there's this lady in town, and her name is Dorothy, and she has dots pots. And she has her shop, and then she has her studio in the backyard where she's got her kiln and her wheel and all that other stuff. And she'll put up a sign that says, like, in the studio. And you can just go into the back in the studio, and she'll just be, like, working on her clay stuff. And you can sit down and chat with her and work, you know, and help her if you want. Like, I'd always go in there and, like, help her make these little things. And and if you needed to buy something, you could come into the retail store and look around, and she'd just come in with you, and she'd sit down and work on something, like, in there and, if you had any questions or just wanted to chat, you know, she'd just, like, hang out with you. And it was, it was so fun, and it was such a welcoming environment, and it was so great to, like, see her working on stuff. Yeah. And so that's kind of... That is part of the fun for people, to see artists mm-hmm. actually working on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I continue, or I plan on continuing both, you know, craft leftovers, green curry fibers, as well as my fine arts work. So I would be selling... I mean, I wouldn't really be selling it. It would just kind of be, like, a place to store it, but it would look nice. So you could buy it, like, in the shop if you wanted to. But it's primarily going to be a working studio, and I'll probably teach, like, um, classes out of it, like, for knitting, crochet, weaving, um, sewing, and that kind of thing. Or even painting. I might host some, like, life drawing classes and stuff. Well, it sounds wonderful, and I'll have to come and visit your shop when when you open it. (laughs) Definitely, any time. Thank you, Kristen, for that great interview. I wish you the best of luck. You've heard all about the interesting work Kristen does, and if you want to get in on the drawing for her Craft Leftovers Monthly, the December issue, here's what you need to do. Post a comment on the blog. Tell me about the last project you made out of scraps or leftovers from some other project. It doesn't have to be anything real elaborate. You're not going to be judged on your project. We're just... Kristen and I kind of have an ulterior motive here, I'd say. We're both interested in hearing what you made. So if you could just post a comment, same as usual, just copy your comment into an email and send that to me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. Include your snail mail address so I can uh, get that to Kristen and she can get your December issue of Craft Leftovers Monthly. And finally, I'm going to announce the winner of Knit Knit. And this was from episode 61 when I interviewed the author, Sabrina Geschwantner, and it's a fabulous book. I really like it. It basically tells all about knitting's new wave, and it's really fun. It kind of doubles as a coffee table book as well because it's got some great photography in there and some patterns for some everyday items to exotic items. So it's kind of, um, you know, would be an interesting gift for the knitter on your list this holiday season. The winner is Manon in Canada. Congratulations, Manon. Okay, I need to thank Stacy in Billings, Montana, Kelly in Manchester in the United Kingdom, also Donna in New Hampshire, and Carrie in Hannah, Georgia. And I think I already thanked Carrie before, but I, I, I'm not sure. So I'm going to thank you again, Carrie, just in case. Um, these folks um, either made a donation or bought a t shirt, a uh, Craft Sanity t shirt. Okay, you know what? I, I'm not going to do an after-after show because I just think that would be mean. Um, I will tell you, um, those who read my blog know, that I did finish my, the marathon, uh, the Grand Rapids Marathon. I didn't finish it as fast as I would have liked, but I, I finished it. 
I was a little bit injured when I started. My Achilles did not really fully heal. Um, so I ended up finishing it. It was like 4... Oh, now I've forgotten. I think 4.28. I don't know. It's on my blog. Um, but I, I finished it. And now I'm looking for another goal. And still kind of healing. I haven't been running since uh, since the marathon. I'm swimming instead. But I'm feeling better every day. And the craft column for the Grampus Press is going well. Um, I'm finding that it takes a lot of time, but I'm not complaining because I'm extremely happy to be promoting artists and crafters right here in West Michigan where I live. I did an interview with Debbie Stoller, so I'll be writing that up. This will be posted on a Sunday, so a week from today. So I have a link on Craft Sanity Podcast uh, website, uh, craftsanity.com. Um, and there's a link there to my blog for work, which is called Running with Needles. I will be back shortly with another episode. In the meantime, please leave a comment on the blog. Let's get some dialogue going. And uh, that motivates me, too, to, to get cracking with my next episode. So take care, everyone. Craft Sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email jennifer at craftsanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.